You know, there comes a time in your life when you have to make the decision on what is most important. There's situations in life that come where we have to decide what is most important to us. And we're faced with the decision, what is more important, what we do in life or who we do it with? Or, or maybe more important, importantly, what we give, what, what is given to us in life, what we get in life or who gives it? You know, my, I've told you guys many times, you guys have seen my little ones running around. I got three small children. And when they were little, I remember I would come in the door and I'd be coming home from work or whatever. And the moment they heard the door lock just turn, they all three blitzed me at the door, right? And that was the best. You see the smile on their face and they came and ran and gave daddy a hug. And like, that was like the best moment of the day, coming home to your little ones running up and jumping on your leg. Nowadays, they still do that. Except when they usually they come, they usually come running toward the door with a request, right? If you guys have kids that get a little older, you know what I'm talking about. They come, Daddy, Daddy, can we go to the pool? Daddy, Daddy, can I have some Reese's? Daddy, Daddy, Mom said no, but I know you're going to say yes because you're just a really good dad. I know that you're going to be totally cool with this. And I look and go, well, what happened to like, are you glad I'm home? And they're like, oh, yeah, Dad, we're so glad you're here. But how about that Reese's bar? At least the dog still comes, right? At least the dog, right? Man's best friend. But like it's the reality that in, in life we often look at our relationships and we love those relationships, but we tend to drift into a place where we're trying to get something out of that relationship maybe more often than we're trying to focus on the relationship itself. I want you to think of your relationships. Think of your friendships. Think of your, think of your, your, uh, your marriage, your relationship with your kids. What, what, what do you see more your energy going towards spending time with that person or maybe more time is spent towards what that person gives to you. If I had to ask you what's most important, I think we're all going to say, well, it's the person themselves. But I think we would all admit that we want both, right? We want the person, but we also want the benefits of being in that relationship. Like I love my kids. I love family movie night. I also love being a dad. I love Courtney. I love my wife. I love sitting there watching reruns of The Office. We watch a lot of TV at my house, as you guys can tell. But I also love the benefits of being married. I love hanging out with Ron Bansell. But I also know that hanging out with Ron Bansell makes me cool. So, you know, there's just the benefit of that, too. So what's most important to you? Who you do it with or what you get from that person? So I think there's a danger if we rely on both. And, and here's the danger when we do rely on both. When we say, I want both, I want the person and what the person can give, it's dangerous because what happens when things get tough in the relationship? If I say, I want the person and what the person give, gives, what happens when things get hard, when conflict comes? What happens when things don't come easy? See, I think if you're in it for what you get rather than who gives it, then you'll be at much more of a risk of walking away from that relationship. And I think what we're going to see today in Exodus 33 is going to drill into our hearts on this topic, and it's going to really bring up how we live out our faith. Because if our faith in God is based on what God gives us rather than God himself, then we're going to find ourselves in situations in life when things get hard, when we get answers we don't want to get, when God has a different plan for us than we have for ourselves, or when God's path seems to be taking us somewhere we don't want to go where we are going to be at risk of stepping away and falling for a cheap imitation of what God wants for us because we've been living for what God gives rather than God himself. So really, our, our big idea for today is that you and I, 
that we're going to see here in Exodus 33, that what you and I want more than anything, what our souls were designed for, is the relationship with God himself, not what God gives. Those are great things too, but it's the relationship with God himself. So we've got to learn to stop falling for cheap imitations and learn to pursue that relationship first and foremost. So we're going to see this play out in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles open, flip with me, chapter 33 in Exodus. If you've been with us the past few months, we've been in a series called Exodus, watching God rescue his people from Egypt out of slavery. He, he brings them across the Red Sea, and he takes them to Mount Sinai, where he's going to teach them what it looks like to live in this new community. And he's going to teach them what it looks like to follow him and to live out their faith. But what we see is really interesting. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we see that the faith of the Israelites is a lot like ours. It's a roller coaster. It seems like they do really great for one minute. The next minute, they're falling off the faith cliff. And I think God gives us the book of Exodus to show us us. He wants us to see that life is a series of valleys and peaks and ebbs and flow. And what it comes down to, it's not the circumstances, it's the faithfulness. And so we see ourselves in the people of Israel over and over again, which gives us encouragement, but also helps us realize that we need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. And so what we see here in the book of Exodus is that God calls Moses to climb up Mount Sinai. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments. He's going to give Moses the law. And so Moses climbs up the mountain, spends 40 days with God. And God's, again, revealing the new covenant. He's talking about the new tabernacle. He's telling him what priests are supposed to wear, which, according to my wife, if you're a pastor, you should wear nothing less than a three-piece suit, right? So, you know, a little, little different tailoring in those days. But Moses is getting a lot of information about God. But yet down at base camp, something's going on. The people have fallen off the proverbial cliff again. Notice, just flip back, one page, one page, Exodus 32. Moses is on the mountain for 40 days, and the people are getting restless. Notice what happens. Moses is on the mountain, and the people are mad that he's delayed. Look at this. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, I guess he was sitting, right? Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Moses has been gone for a while. I mean, 40 days is a long time. So Moses has been gone, and the people are like, well, we, we saw God lead us out of Egypt. We know that God is power. We see God lead us in the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night. But we really don't know what he looks like. And Moses disappeared, and we want to worship God. And so Aaron, make something for us to worship. And so Aaron, they take off all their jewelry. Aaron throws it in the fire, and they make a golden calf. Now, we don't know what this golden calf looked like, but we know that the Israelites grew up in Egypt where they worshipped idols. They worshipped figurines and things like that. And so in their mind, they wanted something to worship because they couldn't see God. Yeah, they saw the lightning on the mountain. They saw the fire in the cloud, but they wanted something that they could worship. And so they start worshiping this golden calf. And what we see here is what they wanted was what God gives rather than God himself. And so now they're, they're worshiping this golden calf. They're having a feast. They're having a party. And so God is on the mountain with Moses, and God says, Moses, you need to get back down there because things are going crazy. And so Moses... I think Moses might have been Scottish because he had a little bit of a temper. And so Moses walks down the mountain. He sees this party, and he actually takes these two tablets with the Ten Commandments and, cra- and breaks them. He throws them and breaks them. He comes down. He takes the golden calf, and he throws it in the fire. And he's like, what are you doing? 
And he looks at Aaron, he's like, Aaron, like, dude, we've been walking for months through this situation. You've seen God. Why are you making a golden calf? And Aaron does what my kids do all the time. Well, we just kind of put the gold in the fire, and it just turned out to be a golden calf. I mean, I'm not really sure how it happened, right? It's like, hey, kids, how'd the TV get broken? Dad, we have no idea. We were just sitting on pillows quietly. It's like, yeah, you were, right? So Moses is hot, as you can imagine, and he tells the people, I'm going to go talk to God. You guys might be done for. I'm going to go talk to God and see if I can smooth things over. And so we see in chapter 33, Moses goes back to talk to God and have a conversation. And it's at this point that Israel gets, is at a crossroads where they have to decide, what do they want more in life? Do they want the gifts that God gives or do they want God himself? Look with me. Exodus 33. Let's just read the first couple verses to start. So the Lord said to Moses, remember Moses goes in, he goes into the tent of meeting and a cloud comes down. So the people are like seeing Moses in the tent of meeting, which was a, a place where Moses would go and pray and talk to God. And when Moses went in, a cloud would actually come down and cover that tent. And so Moses goes in, he talks to God and God tells him this. He says, the Lord says to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Notice he's not calling them my people anymore. He's like you people. You faithless people. You guys go because you guys aren't listening to me. You guys want to worship all these fake idols? Just go. So notice he says, depart, go up from the land. But he says, I'm not going to go with you. Depart from here. You and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Go to the promised land, the place I've promised you that I, that I told you I was going to take you. But he says, I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way. I am so mad, God is saying, that I can't even be around you right now. If you're a parent, you know what that feels like sometimes. Like Just go, go outside right now. He says, because you are a stiff-necked people. Notice what the people do. It says, when they heard this, they take off all their ornaments. It says this in, in verse four. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, this wasn't just discouraging or not, you know, an encouraging word. This was a disastrous word. They mourned, and no one put on their ornaments. And so they took off all their decorations. They took off their earrings and they took off their jewelry. They took off anything they had because they knew what God was saying. So right here in this moment, we see that God tells Moses, these people, I'm going to give them what they want. They want what I give. I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them the promised land. I'm going to give them the place flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give them the wealth and the success and everything. I'm going to give them land, houses they didn't build. I'm going to give them whatever they want. But you know what I'm not going to give them? Me. I'm not going to go with them because I can tell they don't, they don't want me. They just want what I can give. So notice how they responded. Their hearts broke. They took off their jewelry. They took off their Tommy Bahama shirts, and they mourned. And this was an ancient Near East way of repenting. So right there, they're like, no, 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 God, no. Like, no, no, don't do that. Like, we, we want you. We want both. Well, notice what God is saying here. He's saying, I might give you both. But which one would you pick if I made you choose? See, don't miss what's going on in the background here. For several months, God's been leading the people. Again, a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night. He's over the tent of meeting. They see God, and so there's this comfort blanket. Yeah, they want what God gives, but God's here, so this is great. It's kind of like if you're afraid of the dark. Anybody here admit that they're still afraid of the dark? I'm not anymore. I, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of figured it out. But my, uh, my middle daughter, Hallie, she's eight. She's always been afraid of the dark. And so when I go tuck her in at night, 
she'll have a little nightlight on, a little rainbow, you know, a little uh, unicorn nightlight, you know, super cool thing. But she's always like, hey, will you leave the door open and the bathroom light on? Why? Like, because there's that little bit of light. And so, you know, there's that, 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 pop, you know, that uh, poppy trolls poster turns into a monster when it's dark. But when there's a little bit of light, it's still poppy, right? And so she knows because there's a little bit of light, there's comfort there. But what happens when you turn off all the lights? All of a sudden, you know, there's monsters under the bed. And so what God is saying to Israel is this. You can still have all the things I'm going to give, but I'm turning off the light. You guys got to live in the dark. And they're like, no, 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 please, please don't. Do this. And Israel began to understand that they had been living for the things that God gives rather than pursuing being with God Himself. And you guys know what this feels like. I think we've all felt this in some way. You know, it's Father's Day, so let me talk about my dad for a moment. I remember when we God called us out to Colorado. And I was living in Kansas City at the time. My dad was an hour and a half over in the in the city of Columbia where we grew up. And I had this conversation with my dad. We would get together once a month, we'd play golf, we'd do all these things. And I said, Dad, it's going to be great. We're moving to Colorado. You get to come out. We're going to go to Moab. We're going to hike. We're going to bike. We're going to rent all these things. We're going to play golf. We're going to go to Nuggets games. It's going to be amazing. And he's like, oh, it's going to be so good. And we've done it. And he comes out. He spends about a week a year. And we have a great time. And I go back and see him at Thanksgiving, Christmas. And we have a great time. But you know what I miss most about my dad? Just grabbing barbecue. Just being together, just meeting in the middle to play golf. And you guys have been there. If you've lost a relationship, you've had somebody pass away, or you had a friend move, you guys know. You don't miss the birthday gift. You miss the person. You miss being with that person. And so God is trying to help us to see that what is most important isn't what we get from people. What's most important is the people he puts in our lives. And God wants us to take that further and to see Because Israel understood something God wants us to see. That our greatest need in life is not what God gives. Our greatest need in life is God himself. And you know what? Chances are we don't think of it like this. Chances are we don't process it like this. Chances are we don't even think through this situation. We don't even realize that often we're wanting the gift rather than the giver. But let me ask you, you want to find out where you fall on this? Look at how you pray. Do you want to know what you want from God? Do you want the gift? Do you want God himself? Just look at how you pray. Is your prayer filled with the prayer that says, God, please help me do this, that, give me this, that? Or is your your prayer filled with, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I want your presence in my life. God, I need you. Quick diagnostic check. Where are you following? And when we want the good things of God, there's nothing wrong with that. But are we missing the greatest gift is God himself. There's a famous verse in in, uh, Mark chapter 8. It's this, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus is saying this. Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And and a lot of times when you hear, if you've heard this verse before, you read this verse, we end up thinking of stuff, right? We end up thinking of like, well, what if I give my my life to to getting stuff and what happens when I, you know, I end up not getting stuff? God instead. And often we often say, well, you can't pull a U-Haul behind a hearse. People try sometimes. I'm not really sure how good that is. But like that idea still exists. Like what Jesus is saying here is that you can gain the whole world. You can have everything you want. You can live out your dream. But if you don't have me, does any of it actually matter? Does any of it really lead 
to life. And here's how you know this is true. Later on, when you go to Target or King Supers or Walmart, and you're standing at the checkout line, and you're tempted to look at the tabloids, you know, Us Magazine, right, People, but you're like, no, I don't want to look at that. Go ahead, I'll give you permission. Look at it this week. Check it out. What are you going to find? People who seemingly have everything they could ever want. Miserable. Broken. Falling apart. Now, of course, you, according to Men in Black, you can find aliens also in these magazines. But I don't know if that's true or not. But the reality is, you can look at people you admire and say, man, they're as messed up as I am. And that's because we have been trying to find what we want in something else. We live in a world with more common comforts than anything in history. We've got air conditioning. We've got In-N-Out Burger. We've got medicine. You can take your dog to the ER like I did at 7 o'clock and stay there until midnight and still go home and go to sleep, right? Like, it is, we live in a world of comfort, yet are we any happier than people 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago? Maybe a little bit because we can microwave pot pies and that's really good, but outside of that, I don't think we are. And why is that? Like, how come we're not happier even though we have all the modern conveniences and air conditioning? How come we're not any happier than other people? I think it's this. Follow along with me here. Could it be that we have created for ourselves a dream that we always, will always fall short of what we are created for? And here's what I mean. You and I, we all desire validation. Like, we want people to validate us. Like, if you say you don't, then I think you're lying to yourself. We all want people to validate ourselves. And so what we do is we build a dream around somebody validating me. So we, we build a dream around people trying to, to validate us. And this is why every kid wants to be something famous. Like, what did you want to be as a kid? Chances are that you wanted to be something famous, right? When I was a kid, I wanted to play third base for the Royals. Or, you know, I wanted to be an actor. Maybe for you, you wanted to be a dancer. Or you wanted to be a, you know, a, a radio broadcaster. Or you wanted to be an astronaut. Chances are you, didn't want to, you did not want to run the street sweeper machine. Although it's pretty cool. I think it'd be pretty fun, actually. Right? I, I just think we all want to be validated. So we build these dreams around what we think will validate us. But then we reach the dream. Some of you have reached your dream and you realize like it's not enough. Why isn't it enough? Because underneath the dream, we found that we were seeking validation in something that couldn't fill us. Does that make sense? Like what we really need underneath the dream is the desire of God. Like live out your dream, but the only thing that's gonna fill you up is God. The only thing that's gonna validate you is your heavenly father. See, God is showing us that we can have everything we want but lose But if we lose him, we actually have lost everything. So ask yourself, what do you want the most? Do you want the promised land? Do you want heaven? Do you want health? Do you want money? Do you want success? Do you want fame? Or do you want Jesus? Do you want God, who's the one that you were created for? So notice, Moses and the people, they're mourning, they're upset, they're sad, they're taking off all their stuff. Moses goes back in to talk to God. Notice what he says here in verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not known. Let me know who you will send with me. Now, therefore, verse 13, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in the sight, in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. Verse 14, he says, my, and God says, responds to Moses, he says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Notice Moses says, God, we can't go without you. Like, God, we don't want to go without you. We don't want the promised land if you're not there. The people's heart was in the right place. And so Moses goes, God, please go with us. Don't let us go without you. And God looks at Moses and says, okay, 
I'll go with you, Moses, and my presence will give you rest. And so that literally what he says is my, my, my presence, God's saying my face, like my face will go with you, with you. I will be with you. Notice there's this connection between God's presence and rest. You see that right there? Like that, God doesn't say, well, I will go with you and give you all the things that you want. He says, I will go with you and I'll give you rest. He says that real rest is only found in God's presence. Like God's communicating to us, like you, if you want rest, your real rest is only found in God's presence. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. If you're familiar with Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking and he says, look, if you're tired and if you're weary and if you need rest, come to me because I'll give you rest. Like we can't find rest on our own in these other things. Our rest comes from God. Rest is not found in getting to the promised land. Rest isn't found in getting God's gifts. Rest is only found in giving in God's presence in our life. And so I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing on the rest meter? Where, where would you say you're at on the scale of how restful you are? And if you're not very rested, could it be that you haven't been pursuing God himself, but yet God's gifts instead? So he says there's this connection between rest and God's presence. And notice what Moses does next. God says, I'll be with you, Moses. And Moses goes, God, I want you to be with us. Look at verse 16. God says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people? Like, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, God, you called us to be different. You want us to be your people how are we going to be your people and be different if you're not with us? God, you can give us your gifts, but if you're not with us, how does that make us different from anybody else? And so notice, God says, Moses says, I don't want it just to be me. I want it to be we. Moses knew that the unique, powerful presence of God is only the thing that makes us different. So Moses is persistent. Notice this, he's persistent. It's like my daughter, right? She's like, Daddy, when are we going to the pool? We're going to go in a couple minutes. Daddy, when are we leaving? Well, we're going to go in a couple minutes. Daddy, is it time to go now? Right? Just persistent. Persistent. Persistence wins, by the way, if you guys haven't figured that out yet. And so Moses is persistent to God. Why is he so persistent? Because Moses knew. Moses understood something that it takes you and me a lifetime to learn. Moses understood that life is only worth it if God is with us. That you can't do really anything if God isn't by your side. That's so what Jesus says in John 15, chapter five, or verse 5. When Jesus says this, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is him that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the one that gives us what we need. And what we need most is him. And so Moses gets this. And so notice what he says in verse 17. Exodus 33, verse 17, Moses says this. This very thing, or God says this to Moses. So God, remember, God's like... Moses, Moses is like, God, you got to go with me. you got to go. I can't go on my own. And notice what God says back to Moses in verse 17. He says, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I will know you by name. This is what Moses wanted, right? Like, he had interceded for the people, and God's like, fine, I'll go. We'll talk more about this later, but I think God was always planning to go. But he wanted Moses to pursue him, to seek him. And so he's like, I'll go, fine. And, and at this point, I think a lot of us would be like, yes, victory, right? I'm walking outside, and I'm high-fiving Joshua, son of Nun, and I'm high-fiving Aaron and her, 
right? I'm like, God's going! And everybody's like, yeah! But notice, Moses didn't stop. Instead, notice what he does. God's like, fine, I'll go. And Moses goes, God, show me your glory. Like, instead of, like, seeing victory that God's going to go, instead, notice verse 18. Moses says, God, please, show me your glory. God's in this, Moses is in this spot where he's having this conversation with God. He's like, okay, God, I know you're going to go with me, but there's something else I want. There's something else I want so bad. That's I want to see your glory. Now, think about Moses' life. Moses saw God in the burning bush. Moses saw God part the Red Sea. Moses talked with God in the tent. Moses saw God in the cloud and the fire. So Moses knew that personal connection with God was what he was created for. It was what filled his cup more than anything else. And it's what he wanted more than anything else. And so in this moment, Moses got what he wanted. God's going. We're going to the promised land. And Moses says, actually, all I really care about right now is you. Show me your glory. God, reveal yourself to me. God, be here right now with me in this space. And he communicates a really cool reality that God wants us to see. It's this, that when you experience the presence of God in your life, you want more of it. It was no longer the gifts that Moses cared about. It was God's presence. Because he had tasted it and he had seen it like Psalm 34 says. And he says, I want it more than anything else. It's like the first time I ate barbecue. You guys know what I'm talking about? First time you taste some really good ribs or some of that Kansas City brisket, you're like, oh my gosh, I could eat this every day for every meal for the rest of my life. And then you try to do it and like five days later, you're like, okay, I'm sick. I'm just so sick. It's like that, except it never gets old. It's like that, except a million times better. It's like you have experienced what your soul was created to experience, and all you want is to experience that again. It's like you saw a sunset for the very first time, and you want to watch the sunset every night for the rest of your life. And you do it because you know it's so good. God, his presence is so good. The word for glory actually is the Hebrew word um, kavod, kavod, we'll ask for further clarification on pronunciation later, but it is this idea of weighty. God's glory is, is weighty. Moses is like, God, I want your presence. I want your weighty presence. Cotton candy and lollipops, those are kind of fluffy. Those don't last, make an imprint on your, your soul. But you stand in front of a, something great that's weighty. It sets something in your mind. It burns itself into your memory. God says, Moses says, God, I want your weighty presence in my life. I want to see you. Now, God in a second is going to say, Moses, you don't even know what you're asking for. It's like Moses says, I want to go take a skydive into an active volcano. I want to take a shuttle ride to the sun. Like, you don't really. Like, you really don't want to, but it sounds great, right? God says to Moses, Moses, you really don't know what you're saying. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, Moses, you, you can't see my face, for man shall not see me and live. But he says, here's what I'll do for you. Look back one verse, 19. He says, here's what I'll do for you, though. I will make all my, what, goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Moses, my physical presence is too much for you. Moses, you can't stand and see me because you will die. But you know what I'll do instead? I'll let my presence pass before you in the form of my goodness. See, this is so big. Guys, this is so big. You and I may not have a Moses experience on a mountain, 
But you know what we can do? We can see God's goodness. See, God is telling us right here that God's glory is seen in his goodness. God, I want to see you. God, I want to see your presence. God, I want to see your face. God says, Moses, you can't see those things, but I'm going to show you my goodness instead. Sometimes I'll hear people say, how can God be good if? I'm filling the blank, right? You guys have heard it. Well, how can God be good if he lets this happen? How can God be good if this happens? But I think if somebody says that, they really don't understand who God is. Because God's goodness is at the root of who he is. Like, notice God doesn't say, well, Moses, I'll show you my glory through my justice. Well, God's a God of justice, right? Moses, I'll show you my glory through my power. God's a God of power, right? God, I'll sh- Moses, I'll show you my glory through my vast knowledge and wisdom. God's a God of knowledge and wisdom. No, he says, I will show you my glory by revealing to you my goodness. See, if you want to know anything about who God is, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is? God is good. Above all else, God is good. And God shows us his goodness through his mercy. God shows us his goodness through his grace. And God's will for you is to taste his goodness. So God says, above all else, I'm, I'm good. So let me ask you this. When you, when you look at God, how do you think of God? Do you think of God as, as good? Have you seen God's goodness? Do, do you see, because God has blessed you beyond measure. You might say, well, I'm really in a bad spot right now, but I want you to look back over your life and in your life right now, God is blessing you over and over again because of his goodness. You gotta, sometimes you gotta look for it because the enemy in the world are trying to cave in on us. But God is good, and God is so good, he's blessing you right now. But do you see it? Do you see that God is good, and God loves you so much you sent Jesus? Do you see God's goodness through the fact that Jesus came and gave his life for you on the cross? Do you see God's goodness in that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you see God's goodness in the fact that God has set you on a path for new life? Do you see God's goodness that it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one day, 10 days, or 50 years, that you can experience new life in Jesus every single day? God is good all the time, and all the time... God wants you to see his goodness, so do you see it? I hope you do. God tells Moses, you're going to see my goodness, and that's my glory. He also says, you're going to see my, me proclaim my name, and we'll read that again in a, in, a, in a second. But notice what he says. Here's how it's going to look. He says, okay, Moses, you want to see my glory? Well, here's what we're going to do, verse 21. The Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you can stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, like a little cutout, And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Interestingly, later in the Old Testament, you'll see the prophet Elijah go up to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and he hears God speak to him in a still, small voice. Could it be that they were at the exact same spot? God says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to protect you with my hand because you can't see me. If you see me, you're going to die. But after I pass by, you can then look and you can see my back. And so how does this play out? Look, one more chapter over, Exodus 34. Notice this. So we see this encounter. God says, Moses, take, the two, take two more tablets of stone. Bring them up the mountain because you broke the first two. Okay, Moses, we've got to redo this, right? We've got to get to the Ten Commandments again. So take these two tablets of stone back up the mountain and here's what we're going to do. We're going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. Notice this, Exodus 34, 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning, because good things happen early, be an early riser, and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Verse 5. 
The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So what did Moses see? God says, you're going to see my back. Did Moses see his back? Did God take on the form of a man? We see God do that in the Old Testament. We see a theophany is what that's called. Did, did God, uh, was it, is this a, a, a kind of a, a word picture? Is this a metaphor for God's back? One scholar says that it might have been God's afterglow. If you guys know the story in, Exodus, or in Isaiah chapter 6, we see that, God, that Isaiah has this vision that he's in God's throne room and that it's just like filled with smoke. And it's, there's angels on each side of the room and they're covering their eyes because you can't look at God and they're yelling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And right down the middle of God's throne room is his train from his robe. Like, did he see God's train? Did he see God's robe? Did he see God's afterglow? Whatever it is, it was enough that when Moses went back down the mountain, his face was shining, glowing. So whatever he saw changed his life. It was so impactful. We don't know exactly what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we see that his face is glowing after he sees it. And notice what God says as he goes by. Remember, God said, you'll see my goodness, and you're also going to hear me proclaim my name. He said, I'm going to preach you a sermon real quick. And notice what he says in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God says, you want to see my glory? Well, let me tell you about myself. I'm a God of love, and I'm a God of faithfulness, and I'm a God of mercy, and I'm a God of grace, and I'm a God of forgiveness, and I'm a God who's slow to anger, and I'm a God who abounds in love. But for those that don't love me, I'm also a God who judges. And I'm a God who judges sin. And notice what Moses does, verse 8. Moses sees this. He sees God's glory. His face starts shining. He hears God's word. God proclaims his name. And it says in verse 8 that Moses bows down and worships. Like, what else are you going to do? <laughs> You're not going to do anything else. You're not, like, cheering. You're just awestruck by how amazing the situation was. And he bows down to the earth, and he worships. You know, there's certain things in life. There's certain times in life. Certain things happen to you in life. When you begin to see what is most important. And yet Moses had this incredible experience. And some of you maybe have had an experience similar. Some of you have maybe had an experience with the presence of God where you couldn't even stand. Some of you have maybe had an experience in God where you were in a place where you felt God's presence so near and you couldn't do anything but cry. Or you couldn't do anything but sing. And you couldn't do anything but pray. And some of you maybe haven't had that experience yet. And that's okay. Because not everybody does. Moses did. But what we can see is when we experience God's presence, when we pursue God, and we pursue who God is and his goodness and his grace and his word, God shows us that it's in pursuing him that what we are, we are created for. It's what fills our souls. It's in pursuing him that realizes that, that life is more about what we can get. It's, it's, all, it's actually all about who gives it to us. It's through pursuing him that we realize that God has put a call on your life that is so much bigger and more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. So the question is, how do we continue to pursue it? How do we continue to seek it if that's what we are created for and that's what we need? Because if Moses couldn't stand in front of God, then how can we? 
Thankfully, God gives us the answer in John chapter 1, verse 14. Notice what, notice what John, John writes in John 14. He says this, and the word, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tented. Remember, Moses talked to God in the tent. We'll see later that, that, that God is found in the tabernacle. Moses, or, or Jesus came and tented. He came and tabernacled among us. He came and dwelt among us so that we could see what, guys? Glory. So we can see what? Glory. We can see God's glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to see God's glory? God says, I sent Jesus here for you. I sent Jesus here to show you my glory. So now, Moses couldn't see God face to face, but you and I can see Jesus face to face. We can look upon Jesus and we can see the picture of God. We can look upon Jesus and we can see the presence of God. We can look upon Jesus and we can see the glory of God. And God says, it's in my son, my beloved son, who I love, who I sent for you, who I love, that you can seek me in my presence. So what does this actually look like in our lives? How do we actually seek God's presence? Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 2, that set your minds on the things above. So what does this look like? Like if we're going to walk away today and we want to be people who begin seeking God's presence rather than his presence, then what does that look like for us? Well, I think the first thing is simply we just have to start looking to Jesus. And I know that just sounds like a, this is such a simple thing. But I think the idea is that God sent Jesus here to show us his glory. And so God says, you want to see my glory? You want to pursue my presence? Well, look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus when we gather together and we open God's word. We look to Jesus at home in a quiet time when we open God's word. We look to Jesus when we gather in a space like this and we sing songs. We look to Jesus when we're in a place where we, we can get quiet and quiet our hearts and ask God to, to reveal himself to us. We look to Jesus in, in, when we pray and ask God, God, yes, I need these things, but God, what I need more than anything is you. So how can you this week look to Jesus more and more? Because Jesus wants to become more and more in your life. Secondly, though, I think we have to learn to fight against letting other things define our identity. I think if we're gonna, if we're gonna really experience God's goodness and we're gonna really get to, to, to be able to seek after God's presence, we've gotta stop trying to, to fill our dream with something that validates us because it's only God that truly validates us. The, the reality is that no matter where you seek validation, it's always gonna let you down. It's always gonna break your heart. But finding your validation in your heavenly father, finding your validation in Jesus who came and gave his life for you and rose again so you can have new life, that's the only place that truly will fill the longing that we have in our souls. So this week, here's my challenge for you guys, is I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention. Where, what are you seeking? What's most important to you? Is it relationship with God? Or is it what God gives? And we catch it, recognize it, and in that moment, pray and go to God and say, God, what I want, what I need is you. And I want you more and more. Forefront, let's let our prayer this week be, God, show me your glory.